to this week's edition of the Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our friends at Ditchwitch. Bass Edge Television is on Wild TV in Canada and on the Versus Network now through January of 2008. Afternoon, everybody. This is Outdoors Dan, along with host of the Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Aaron, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing great, Dan. we got a good show for him today. We're going to be checking with an angler I haven't heard from before, and his name is... His name is actually Fred Rumbanis, uh, who just came off of a $100,000 payday at the recent uh, BASS tournament out at Lake Murray. So uh, look forward to that. Yeah, he can afford tacos. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. All right, then we're going to go into a great Inside Edge segment for another installment there. And it's all right here for you all on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Uh oh, look here, I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Whoa, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Welcome to The Edge. This is Outdoors Dan. i got Aaron Martin here with me. And you know what? Things are just flying all over the water. I tell you, things are popping. Pop bars are going across. There are spooks are tearing. I'm hearing all sorts of good stories about people catching fish. Oh, man, I tell you, Dan, we, you know, matter of fact, I'm actually, I'm traveling between, uh, down at Morgan City, Louisiana, uh, coming from a great filming there with uh, Denny Brower, and uh, on my way to Sam Rayburn. So uh, it was hot, but uh, the fishing was great, and what more can you say when you get to hang out with a legend like Denny Brower? Uh, did he bring Weedy? <laughs> yeah, no, I tell you what, he brought something, because I, I'm telling you, the man can catch fish. But no, you're exactly right, you know, it's that time of year to where uh, pretty much the fishing, I think, is, is, is very good everywhere. Yeah, I think everybody's having a good time. I just went out and bought, you're going to laugh at me, because, you know, I, I don't have a boat sponsor because I'm a bow hunter. Sure. But uh, <laughs> we won't go there now. <laughs> no, no class issues here. But uh, I just bought a two-man Pelican, and uh, it's like six, $700. It's mm-hmm. one of those two-man, uh, you know, bass buggy deals. Right, right. You know, and the reason I did that is we got the camper this year, so I'm going to take Laura and the kids camping, but I also want to be able to have, get out in the water a little bit and throw in one a line and. You know what? I threw a trolling motor on there, and those little things are nice. They've got a, a battery compartment. They've got a live well compartment, and it's all pre-wired. So for under $1,000, you can get you a nice little bass rig. Well, and, and the thing about that is, Dan, you know, so many there, there's so many great little areas to, to fish, whether it be, you know, farm ponds or small streams that, quite honestly, you can't necessarily get to, you know, with the bigger boats. And, yep. um, you know, that's really, that's ultimately how you and I got started into the sport. Yeah, and you can actually take those out on the bigger lakes. You, you know, those, that's perfect for just butting around the, tr- the shoreline. Sure. So, and get into those secondary coves. I mean, I wouldn't go out in the main body with it, but you cannot sink those things. Matter of fact, they actually have, you know, small craft uh, tournaments, mm-hmm. um, you know, even with float tubes and some things like that. But even if you find like a, um, you know, a backwater bay or, or kind of a cove, uh, you can, they're so easy just to throw in your vehicle. You don't have to have a tremendously large tow vehicle to pull those things around. You can throw it in and be at the water uh, and have it unloaded and be fishing, actually, in a, in a matter of minutes. Well, I just thought it was the easiest way that I could still, you know, I could pull my camper and mm-hmm. still have a boat. Sure. 
There you, you go. Know, so Saw makes us for that. Well, listen, I tell you what, we need to get going, but before we do, you've got uh, DVDs in stock, I hear? Oh, yeah. Yeah, matter of fact, uh, now, now listen to this. This just okay. goes to kind of show you we're, we're all about helping people save money, but um, they, they changed the format on how they were uh, doing basically the season one and season two DVDs to where, long story short, uh, it's it's a dual layer to where now you're we're able to put the the entire season in one package, and in doing that we were able to actually bring the cost of those uh, way down. So the price on those are now 19.95 for the for the first uh, year's set, the entire set, and what that actually gets you is another 10 hours of content uh, on the two DVDs. Now here's how you save the money uh, for those who actually bought season one. Uh, for the $39.95, Bass Edge is going to retroactively go back and refund money on that. Also, if you were waiting for those Season 1 DVDs to get delivered, which I know some of you were, essentially they are also going to throw in the entire Season 2 DVD set uh, completely free of charge just for your patients. So anyway, great tip. Make sure uh, for those out there in kind of the Edge world, uh, get on to BassEdge.com and, and get the DVDs because now they just came down way in price and we're going to make sure that we get those who already ordered those taken care of and uh, appreciate their support. And don't forget Bama Jamma this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, that uh, that's right around the corner. Matter of fact, once I finish up here, uh, once I get to Texas and finish up there, I should say, then I am directly on my way. We're going to be there in full force. Uh, come by the booth. We're going to have lots of stuff uh, that we'll be giving away. So if you're down there, make sure you come by and say hello. Yeah, folks, let me know how the T-shirts are, because I still have that mine. But I'm sure you will, so enjoy them, folks. I'll take a picture of them for you, too. Uh-huh, yeah, been hearing that for three years. <laughs> All right, we need to go and get going on this interview with Mr. Fred, and uh, you know what? He, I understand that we're going to learn all about what he did at Lake Murray. Exactly, and then we're going to tie that in, because there's there's some key things on there that uh, how he chose to make some decisions. All right, we'll be right back right here on The Edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, welcome back to The Edge, and joining us for this week's Angler Spotlight is BASS Elite Angler, and that is Fred Rimbanis. Fred, uh, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Hey, it's an honor to be here, Aaron. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'd counted on doing a uh, swim bait show, specifically two tips and techniques, but of course that was prior to you uh, just putting together your recent Lake Murray victory, so congratulations goes out to you for that. Well, thank you so much. Basically, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take a, a little bit of a, uh, a change in direction, and we'll get you back on to do a 100% uh, swim bait show. But, you know, I just wanted to go into uh, there on Lake Bur- Murray. Of course, we're a little bit removed from that, uh, being a couple weeks here. But thinking back on that, you know, you were actually picked by Bill Lowen to win that tournament because of uh, your ability to, to throw a swim bait. But that's really not in effect what happened is it no actually uh, it almost threw i think the field in the loop that was reading that because um yeah the swim bait bite was strong but you had to have a really fast moving swim bait and uh my style of swim bait fishing that i have tremendous confidence in which can 
obviously confidence is everything in tournament fishing, is a slow-moving swim bait. So for me to get on that blueback heron bite, it was to be burning and turning. And uh, I just wasn't really feeling that, and I wasn't that dialed in on it. So I kind of abandoned that early in the day and went up river and found a frog bite. And uh, that is something that I have tremendous confidence in. And that's what I stuck with. Well, you, you know, Fred, I mean, we talk a lot about here on Bass Edge, and then, of course, uh, Dr. Jay McNamara through our In the Zone segment that we do both on the web and, and then also on the television show, uh, concerning, you know, the ability to be flexible and and make changes as the day progresses. And really, you had to do exactly that because it, it was during the first day of the tournament that you pretty much abandoned everything that you did in practice and, and went a different direction. Yeah, I actually went through about four or five different patterns till about 10.30 in the morning when I had not had a single bite. And typically, I'm used to catching a few fish before then, so... It kind of puts a little stress on your on you in a tournament, and you know sometimes you need to just catch some fish to to keep you going for the rest of the tournament. So I knew up lake I could get a few bites on a frog, and I just kind of went up there and, and found a lot more water during the, the last couple hours, and it pulled off a good quality 15 pounds. And and talking specifically ab- about the swim baits, I, I know you know obviously you have uh, through Ima lures, but then also you kind of have your signature series through Poseidon. Uh, with the reaction strike, you know, those swim baits are a little bit slower moving, but w- under what conditions, I mean, can you use those particular swim baits, uh, you know, with with great success? You can pretty much throw a swim bait, I mean, as far as just in general sense, I mean, you can throw a swim bait anywhere in the country. Any lake's going to have a swim bait bite at any given time. It's just the, taking out the right one for the weather conditions, the time of the year, and everything else. But, you know, for me, I personally have most of my confidence in a slow-moving swim bait, something that I can cast out and basically reel on a semi-slack line and keep it coming in at a steady retrieve and cover a lot of water. And it produces real big bags. I mean, it's, it's a bait that's going to go out and get you a uh, kicker fish. Well, and on the during basically during your practice and, and then even on the first day of the tournament, I, th- I think you had explained that uh, you had found, uh, what, some really some jig fish and some deeper jig fish uh, also some wacky worm fish. But what, I guess, deep down, knowing on that, that first day of the tournament, what made you go farther up the river to discover, uh, you know, kind of that frog bite that you got on? I mean, you know, you didn't have really any preconceived notions or any experience or, of success on that. Uh, can you walk us through that thought process? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it actually went into what I had found the last minutes of practice. I had actually found an eight-pounder on a bed. And this is mostly a post-spawn deal at this lake. And for me to go out there and find this giant fish, and I threw a Senko in it on, in practice, and it came up and met me halfway. I was about to eat it. It was a one-cast fish. And I had to either go for schooling fish that were eating the blueback herrings that are right at the crack of dawn, first blast off. I mean, you got to go there and try to catch a limit as quick as you can if you want to get on those fish. And you got to get a point to yourself. Or do I make the decision and try to catch that big fish just in case somebody decides to pull on it and makes a wild cast and catches it because I thought it was that easy. Well, I went and went for that bed fish because it actually worked for me at Clark's Hill. I did catch a four-pounder off, right off the bat blind fishing that I found on a bed. So I, I took that same scenario and went to it. Well, it was on a windward bank, and by the time I realized she wasn't there, I started running the lake looking for that same exact, uh, you know, that blueback pattern, trying to get that topwater bite going. That failed. Every point that I wanted to go to where I found schools of fish, even, you know, with the swim bait, there were boats on it, and I didn't want to crowd in on anybody. That's really not my style. So 
I just kind of worked my way up the lake, and where I was getting more bites, but they were, you know, further up the lake I was going, the smaller the fish were getting that I caught in practice. And so I felt like I was kind of getting away from where the big fish were, but moving towards the easier bite as the date progressed. One of the things with throwing a frog, you know, or the style of fishing I was doing, it's more of an afternoon bite anyway. So it was like it kind of worked out perfect for me to be up there at the time of day that I did the um, when I when I moved up that river, and I actually went up further than I even practiced. I found water that first day, and just I mean it was awesome. I pulled back in this little cut, and there was a flick out calm. You could see little dragonflies and bluegills popping on them, and it was just like vast wonderland over there. And I started throwing that frog, and two hours had 15 pounds. Mixed it with a little rumba crankbait that is a surface wake bait around the open water and willow trees, and uh, it's almost like walking a frog. And, just let the fish suck it in and suck them every time. So when you say afternoon bite, is that traditionally what you find with most frog fishing, or was it just specific to the, the situation of which you were under? No, actually, um, afternoon bite with a frog is typically better. Um, your days get warmer, it gets hotter, you know, it gets the bluegill up to the surface. And really when I'm throwing a frog, I'm not throwing a frog to mimic a frog. I'm throwing a frog to mimic a bait fish, in this particular case, a, a bluegill that was up on top of the surface that was feeding on the uh, little dragonflies and insects. So now were you throwing more of a hollow body or was it a um, more of a buzz type frog that, that yeah, produced a Yeah, it's a, a snag proof, uh, it's the original snag proof frog. It's a, uh, one of the Bobby's perfect frog in a, in a color that I um, had snagproof do for EliteBass.com. Mm -hmm. It's uh, basically got an orange chin under it like a male bluegill would, and uh, it's a hollow body bait. One of the things that I glean, because often we get the question, you know, how in the world, uh, pe people often classify their day based upon their decisions, whether it was successful or not, you know, and sometimes you can make those decisions and be classified a hero. Other days, you know, you can classify yourself as a zero. So what I'm gathering is that you're really not scared to break away from what you did or did not find in practice and and take the risk that you can find something better. Yeah, you know, and, and it really has to do with, with how you, you perceive a tournament. If you go out and you look for a certain bite and you, you bank on that one bite, it's such a hit-and-miss tactic that you're either going to catch them or you're not. Um, you know, some of these real good anglers that you see out here that I've observed over the last few years, you know, fishing with, against them is they can make decisions on the fly, let the weather dictate where the fish are going to be, let the fish tell you where they're going to be, and really pay close attention to Mother Nature. And that's basically what I'm developing, you know, as I progress into a better term angler for myself. And um, those are the decisions it takes to compete at this level. And, uh, I mean, that was probably, honestly, the best decision I've ever made in it tournament that I can ever remember. I mean, it was just, it felt so gratifying to be able to come from absolutely having the slightest little bit of fear that there was a possibility that I was not going to catch a fish that day because all the areas I'd found were taken or the fish weren't going the way I wanted them to go. But being able to pull off what I did and make that decision to run as far as I did without a single fish in the live well to begin with, it was, it was just so gratifying. It was awesome. It was the best feeling ever. Well, I, I mean, certainly I think that speaks volumes yeah. and obviously it proved, you know, in the, the results of the tournament. But how many patterns do you would you recommend to our listeners that they go out with or try and find? Well, you know, the one thing I think I could really, um, and, and this came from another tournament angler, a good friend of mine, Brent Ayler. I remember watching him at Lake Mead years ago on a, a Bassmaster tournament where we finished really high. And he said at any given lake, and this is something that's been repeated into my mind everywhere I go, there's at least five different techniques that can win that tournament. There's five different patterns, at least. Most people 
get caught up on one of them because it's the doc talk that you hear. And for me, I've kind of abandoned listening to the other anglers and because, you know, I mean, everyone's kind of, they're going to try to steer you the wrong way, but at the same time, you, you know, they're, they're going to be doing something that's similar. So if you can kind of just believe that what you know and go with your strengths, you're probably going to find fish somewhere in that body of water. Do you try and, is it, when, whenever you approach that in practice, are, are you trying to discover all five or just as many as what you can or what you have time for? Man, when I go out and practice, I don't just look for five patterns. I, I figure there's five patterns that'll win, mm-hmm. but I go out with 30 rods on my deck and boat completely filled with tackle. And I run, I, I drive around a lot, look for stuff that, that I can, you know, familiarize with and uh, start going there. And, uh, just really, gotta, you got to have a lot of energy. You've got to spend every minute of practice from sun up to sundown. You know, try to eat as healthy as you can and, and just be as active as you can and, and really just try to find what those fish are doing. And, and don't just be set on, oh, i got a, I got a jig bite under, under boat dock. I'm, I'm just going to stick with that and then sleep in the next day because that's not going to hold up. Sure. Rarely does that ever hold up. Um, you need to find patterns within patterns within patterns to be able to compete with these guys. So at this level. So it's really something that you just got to really learn to be versatile and uh, learn to make the right decision. And kind of shifting gears a little bit uh, from that, but based upon, you know, just given the time of year that we are in, what do you recommend or what do you suggest? What are your go-to baits for targeting post-spawn fish? You know, post-spawn fish, depends on what kind of lake you're fishing. If you're fishing like a, a lake that doesn't have very much cover, rock, you know, it's a rock lake, it's you know, you got offshore structure and stuff like that. You can get on a good or early morning topwater bite, and that's, you know, pretty key to try to find that. Then you want to find the bait fish. If you can find the bait fish, I use Lowrance with your locator, you can predict where the fish are going to be. Some lakes have thermoclines. The fish are going to go down there with the bait fish, and you need to be staying in that zone all day long, you know, after if you have a couple topwater fish in the morning, if that's your choice, or go straight to those fish. But um, post-spawn fish, right after spawn, they go through the funk where they just get real lethargic, they're skinny, they don't want to burn, they've already burned all their energy. You almost have to finesse them in their zone, and uh, that's what makes them a little tricky that time of the year. Sure. And then in our last closing minute or so here, then do you see that that change and progress, I guess, how do you know when it's officially post-spawn is over, or do you, for that matter, uh, and, and then what adjustments do you make as they transition kind of into their summer patterns? You know, it's almost like a light switch. They just start feeding. I mean, you will go from fishing one area one day, and then the next day or even a couple hours later, they just start biting like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, you know, I, I, I think if I could put my finger on the exact moment when that happens, I could win just about every tournament this time of the year because... When you find them, when they start feeding on that summer pattern, they ball up, and I mean they're offshore usually, and usually a, a big worm or a Carolina rig or a deep diving crankbait. You know, those are going to be your your key tactics. Now, this is I'm I'm mostly talking about these lakes that have offshore stuff. Sure. If you're going to lakes that have vegetation that are generally a shallow body water, like in Florida or the California Delta or something like that, now you're going to be looking through thick vegetation anywhere where they can, you know, boat docks where they're going to go to shade because there isn't deep water for them to go to. They're going to be back up tight and uh, in the cover. So that's when the frog bite gets really good, and that's what was exactly happened at Lake Murray. The further up the river you went, I mean, there was more cover for them to go hide in. And uh, that was that was real key. Well, it, it was certainly key enough because it played right into your hands. But with that being said, unless had you not made that decision 
again, uh, it proved that uh, decisions do make you a lot of money. And Fred, congratulations on that. The only thing you got to promise us is that uh, we will get to pick up uh, where we originally left off, and that is to be able to do a, uh, a show specific to swim baits here in the, the upcoming couple months. Absolutely. That would be so, great. Well, any uh, before we get out of here, any closing thoughts or, or comments? You know, I mean, I have a little little catchphrase that I, that I kind of go by, and uh, you got to dream it, work it, and live it. I think uh, that basically uh, summarizes exactly what you do, Fred. And, uh, again, uh, best of luck on the, on the remaining tour season that's left, and, and thanks so much for being part of the Edge. And for those of you who would want to get a, a question into Fred, by all means, please go to Ask the Pros under BassEdge.com. Until next time, my friend, uh, good luck, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Aaron. You know, um, Mr. Rambanis, mm-hmm. he did a good job. He did. I mean, I mean, you know, he won the BASS, uh, what they had basically, where they had the four tournaments last year. They paid out the 250000 He won one of those last year, and now, obviously, he's came back uh, this year in full force. You know, the guy is known as kind of the king of the swim baits. Uh, he has that, that Poseidon, that signature series bait that he designed himself. And he was actually picked, you know, to win that tournament on a on a swim bait and he won the tournament but it wasn't on a swim bait yeah it was on a frog exactly yeah i heard that and uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was paying attention i know i know and you know but but with that dan if you know from his interview and you probably gathered this that when he didn't really come across i guess that winning pattern until the first day of the tournament you know he'd found a some other fish uh, on on a wacky style. Uh, he tried the swim bait, but it went to bluebird skies. That kind of went off, and instead of making that left turn to go down uh, into the main lake, he actually kind of went against the grain, went up the river, got up there, and was able to put something together in the few uh, remaining hours that he had on the first day. And what he found that first day, he was able to go back and expand upon. And you know, I, I really think that drives home what we constantly talk about. And Jay, even Jay McNamara. Yeah. yeah, you know, Jay McNamara talks about it all the time. It's about yeah. decision-making. Well, and, you know, we've had James Degemeyer on here, Boyd Duckett. You know, if, you know, don't beat your head against the wall. Something ain't working. Try a different presentation. And I think all, that's what makes them pros because they all, they're not stubborn enough to realize that if, it's, if their favorite thing is not working, they need to go catch fish. Right, right. And, you know, I thought when he made the comment, when I asked him about, you know, how many patterns does he look for, um, one of the things that he brought up that he said, you know, he believes that there's five different patterns working, winning patterns that's working on a lake at any given time. And, you know, it's just a matter of discovering those. And too many times we as anglers get caught up into finding a pattern that we feel is really working well, but then, you know, the weather changes or something is altered in that, that pattern goes away and we haven't done an, an our homework enough to find out some other patterns to be able to fall back on. Well, let me ask you a question. If it's a bluebird sky, why wouldn't you throw a swim bait? The, the swim bait's in the, in the calm, you know, really what we call flat top water where there's no uh, wind to break up uh, kind of the, the image or the silhouette of the bait as well, as well as in clear water. You know, you'll have a lot of times you'll have a, a fish that'll come up and follow it. And Fred's style is he really likes that slow... Uh, swim bait, being able to reel it slow. Now, they were catching uh, some some schooling fish on a really faster-moving uh, swim bait, but that had to be right off the bat, right early of a morning. And uh, a lot of times that if you don't have that wind or, or uh, you know, dirtier water to kind of break up the silhouette of that bait, they are interested in it, but they ultimately won't commit. So what he did by going up the river, 
getting in uh, under those lily pads, you know, those bluebird skies, places the, the, the brim, the bluegill, and then also ultimately the bass right under the canopy of the lily pad because they're, they're seeking out shade. And uh, he was able to run that frog, which in his opinion wasn't really resembling a frog. It was getting them to take a reaction strike because all the bluegill and some of the bait fish were in there. Well, that makes sense. Well, you know, and he won. So exactly. <laughs> all right, folks, we got to keep this moving along. We're going to go to another Inside Edge segment. And if I read my notes correctly, we're going to hear from Bob Lusk on summer patterns and Hey, that's a great time of thing to talk about because it's summer. It is. It is summer. Hard to believe, but, uh, yeah, let's let's uh, get right into that and figure out why in the world fish move in the summertime. Aaron and I will be right back right here on The Edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, welcome back to The Edge, and joining us this week... Uh, is the editor and fisheries biologist, Bob Lusk of Pond Boss. Bob, uh, thanks so much for being part of The Edge once again. Hey, Aaron, it's an honor. Thanks for having me. Well, you, you know, Bob, I've got to tell you, uh, I'm going to throw a question out to you that I think a lot of people want to know uh, about, and that is, what does a summer pattern actually mean? Because here we're kind of on the verge of, you know, crossing over into that uh, from the post-spawn situation, so I'm, I'm going to let you run with that. Aaron, you know, I love that question. I, I to me, that it, in the beginning, that was a philosophical question. I didn't really get it. But the more I thought about it, there were several things that drove it home to me. Let me tell you what my opinion is of a summer pattern. You know, after the fish spawn, they've done what they do for that spring. They, they come up shallow. Now they move out to deeper water, typically. And the bigger the body of the water, the deeper the water is, the deeper they're going to want to move. And the summer patterns, to me, are where... Fish are trying to seek the best habitat and the best environment that they can have. One of the interesting things is every every species of fish has its best operating conditions. And what I mean by that is, for, for example, largemouth bass, their favorite temperatures to operate are between 53 degrees and 83 degrees. You get above that 83 mark, and they stress. They're really trying to survive rather than thrive. You get below 53 degrees, same thing. They're kind of hunkered down. It's kind of cold. But between 53 and 83, that's perfect. So they're consistently seeking that temperature. You know, when, when you're in a small, shallow lake where the water temperature can get to be 95, they don't like that. So they're going to go out and try to get as deep as they can where they can have the best temperature and the best oxygen sources and available food. If they can eat, that's where they're going to be. In the summertime, that's often not, not right up in the shallow water. It's just too hot. They'll move out in deeper water, and that's where they'll tend to hang out. The interesting thing about that, too, that I have seen, especially in the private lakes that I take care of, is that as the summer edges on and we get into the really hot dog days, the water has stratified. Thermocline separates the hot water from the cooler water. And as the summer edges on, that thermocline tends to move more shallow, which drives the fish up into even more shallow water, and they tend to congregate but they might be suspended, you know, 8 feet deep or 10 feet deep. And that's where you got to go look for them. So the question of the fish 
move in the summer and why, basically it has to do with they're seeking out comfort. They're seeking out comfort. That's exactly what they're after. Fish are always after the right temperatures, plenty of oxygen, and food. Those are the basic parameters. Of course, you know, every species of fish has its own, own habits and its own abilities. For example, as we move up into the Midwest, for example, there's walleye, smallmouth, yellow perch, along with largemouth bass. The smallmouth bass, they're going to be looking for that rocky bluff where there's crawfish to eat. Walleye are going to be a little bit deeper. They're trying to chase minnows and other forage fish. Largemouth bass, gosh, they're going to be hunkered near some kind of well-defined structure. But as the summer moves on and that thermocline moves more shallow, those fish begin to kind of get clogged up and compete against each other. So, you know, I, I try to factor that in to my, to my fishing and the way that I'm going to go try to find the fish. If the water temperature is hot at the top, you better be looking down deeper, and those fish are going to be suspended somewhere above the thermocline near the best habitat that they like to have, seeking the food that they want. So is it safe to say that the 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 fish, let's say the bait fish of which uh, bass feed on, basically all species, I guess. Um, are they affected by these conditions as well? Are, are you seeing movements or transitions uh, by the bait fish moving for comfort as well? You know what? They're a little bit more interested in whether or not they can survive. You know, now different bait fish have different motives. Bluegill, for example, they want to feed, but they also don't want to get eaten. So you're going to have a tendency to see those fish in a little bit more shallow water. You know, they may may come up around docks. They may get into brush piles. So they're going to be a little bit more shallow, and when the bass get hungry, they're going to have to come up and try to chase those fish. Shad, on the other hand, they're going to be out in deeper water, open water, as close to the surface as they need to be to have the right kinds of food that they want, which is typically plankton or something they can filter and glean out of the water. So in our closing minute, then, when does the process of the stratification or the turnover, like you, you speak of, when does that actually start taking place? i tell you what, Aaron, it starts to take place late in the spring as our air temperatures get up in the 80s in the daytime. What happens is sun will, can only push the heat down so far in the water, and that heat wants to rise. So between the sun and the wind, it can only push it down so far. So typically by the first or second week of June, a lake is stratified. And by that time, the fish have moved off from their shallow spawning areas out into that more open water where there's structure sitting on top of the thermocline. I'd say the 1st of June, and, that, and it stays that way all the way until the fall when the water temperature starts to cool down. You know, in the north, that may be September. In the south, that may be November. So then, uh, lastly, it's, it's kind of reaching its peak. Is, is that what's known as kind of what we call the dog days? Absolutely right. Well, I mean, August or September, I have actually seen smaller lakes, two or 300-acre lakes, where the thermocline sits at 36 or 48 inches, three feet or four feet below the surface. And all the living activity takes a place above that in a shallow lake. Well, once again, Bob, you have certainly knocked the cover off the ball as far as your information and, and really appreciate you being part of the edge. Any uh, closing thoughts or can you give us some advice on how to get in touch with you uh, if we have questions? You know, my closing advice from an angler standpoint is if you can find the fish, then all you got to do is figure out what they'll eat that day know that they could be suspended asleep, too. So uh, it's, it's you know, all part of the game. It's a whole lot of fun. If you want to reach me, of course, you can throw a question at us at, at BassEdge.com, or you can come to my website, which is PondBoss.com. All right. Well, once again, Bob, thanks so much, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again and talking with you again, rather, in the near future. Aaron, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you.
When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space of my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-88-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. This is Outdoors Dan, and he is Mr. Aaron Martin. And, you know, he did a great job of uh, talking about the stubborn patterns and why fish move in the shallows. Yeah, you know, I mean... Of course, it shouldn't surprise me because he's a fisheries biologist and then obviously through his business and being editor of the Pond Boss and and really putting his heart and soul into the management of of fish and understanding them. But it really amazes me how just he simplifies things and makes you understand. It's like, well, why didn't I think of that, you know? And and I thought his advice on, on what fish are doing, why they move, it really gave me a lot more clear understanding um, concerning what's going on in the summertime. Sure, absolutely. we got a listener question from Jason in Antioch, California. Jason wants to know, he has a lot of reels, all different ages with varying amounts of wear on them. Do you have any suggestions on the best way to clean them as they are in bad need of it and I don't want to throw them away? And I believe you have an answer for him, Mr. Martin. I do, and, you know, I, th- I think that's something that we're all faced with, especially as, you know, we accumulate different uh, pieces of tackle. But certainly, you know, reels are something that I firmly believe that if you take care of them, uh, they're going to last you a long time. So, Jason, definitely do not throw those away. Uh, but the solution is Ardent Reels, actually, they have a reel cleaning kit uh, that they came out with, and it has really all of the items uh, that you're going to need, like the uh, oil, the grease, you know, Q-tips, brushes, all the swabs, everything that you need right in one concise kit uh, to clean those, regardless of the brand. I mean, the real cleaning kit is not only designed just for the real, but also all the reels that are out there. And the great thing about it is that that real butter, and I'm sure you probably saw this too, Dan, and the real grease inside of that kit, you know, it was just recently uh, won some awards, and it's, it's quite honestly, it's second to none, but you can find them at really probably any major sporting goods store, but in case that you can't, uh, feel free to visit their website at ardentoutdoors.com. So uh, best of luck there, Jason. Hey, and don't forget to check out the latest issue of Bass Edge, uh, of the the articles, and check out the new uh, Bass Edge merchandise that they have in stock right now at at the uh, virtual store. Yep. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter, folks. We want you to make sure you're getting all that information each and every time. And a prize giveaways you need, please, again, put your shipping information in there because if we use it, we want to make sure we send you the stuff. So please put your uh, address and uh, contact phone number in there as well. It's all private. Nobody gets a list or anything. Just want to make sure we can get a hold of you if we want to send you some stuff. Is that right? That is absolutely right because uh, obviously it's not working for you, Dan, because we haven't sent you anything yet. So. Yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> I didn't even need to say it. I know. I, see, I, I'm so used to you saying it, now I just say it for you. But well, that's good. I got the condition. <laughs> anyway. But, Dr. J is right. Conditioning yeah. works. All right. So <laughs> next week we're going to have another good podcast for you. At least Aaron thinks they're good. That's what his mom tells me. Exactly. Home you know, but things. the newsletter is out, so get up on there. And uh, we're going to hear from Chris Ball next week. So, Aaron, anything else before we get out of here? No. Uh, keep fishing. Uh, love to hear the questions. Go to Ask the Pros section under BassEdge.com. Keep sending those in, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody again next week. All right, folks. We'll see you next time right here on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, 
V and W trailer hitches, MegaWare keel guard, Cooks tackle management systems, Ardent rule the water, Legend boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstart batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.